five. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles, we will continue our study of Paul's letter to the Romans, uh, picking up in chapter 10. Um, before I read God's word, let's go to him in prayer. Let's pray. Gracious God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do thank you for uh, the glorious good news of this salvation that Paul proclaims, of a righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ, uh, a righteousness that uh, comes through his uh, faithful and perfect obedience uh, to your holy and righteous law um, that we, because we're sinners, um, could never uh, meet that standard, um, that we were lost and dead in our sins and trespasses till Christ uh, reconciled us to you and provided a way uh, for us uh, to secure eternal life and salvation through your sacrificial death and life-giving resurrection. Lord, we thank you for this good news and pray that you would give us uh, tongues and feet uh, swift to uh, carry and proclaim it to others. Uh, because as we'll see in uh, uh, Romans 10, that um, though you are sovereign in your administration of grace, that uh, you employ human means to, to go and uh, proclaim it to others, and that uh, we are held responsible for our stubborn uh, resistance and lack of faith and repentance. Uh, so we ask that um, you would give us uh, tongues to proclaim and give those who we preach to uh, ears and hearts to respond in faith. For uh, there is uh, only one way of salvation, and that's through our Lord Jesus Christ and from him being raised from the dead. And it's in his name we proclaim um, your goodness, uh, not just to us, but to the world, um, too, that it's there for all to uh, receive by faith. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your spirit, the same spirit that gave Paul these words is the spirit that teaches them uh, to us. And we pray that you would um, give us ears to hear your word um, and give us wills to put it into practice, um, both as we worship you this day, but then as we continue to serve you um, throughout the week. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, um, I'll be reading the entirety of chapter 10, but we um, covered the first four verses last week, so we'll really be picking up uh, the study portion uh, in verse 5, which is continuing um, a section that Paul started back in chapter 9, verse 30. So here now, uh, the word of God from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 10. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart, that is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, 
Have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word may bless it uh, as we discuss it this morning. All right, so in chapter 10, we're in the middle of this three-chapter section that we started um, back in uh, chapter 9, and we'll continue through chapter 11. And the main um, uh, question that Paul is uh, is trying to answer in this section is, why hasn't Israel responded in faith to Christ? Um, why have they not been saved? And we saw in chapter 9... Um, you know, the answer to this question is personal for Paul. These are his people, and we see that in the beginning of chapter 10. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. So there's a personal desire on Paul's part for his uh, nation to come to Christ. But there's also this deeper theological problem that God had made all these promises to Israel. So if they are not responding to God in faith, is there, has God changed his mind? Um, has he gone back on his word? As Paul says in chapter 9, uh, verse 6, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. So in chapter 9, uh, Paul is working through this, you know, again, this, this question of, of why have the Jews not responded to, to the coming of Christ, first by looking at it from, from a God's eye perspective. And he goes through those Old Testament passages to show first that not all of ethnic Israel uh, is in spiritual Israel, that God's electing purposes has chosen some out of those who are physically descended from Abraham. So he, he put a firm emphasis on God's elected purposes and, and demonstrated by God's always preserving a remnant of Israel. Um, so even when Israel was uh, punished and, and many of them destroyed for their stubborn sinfulness, God always saved uh, for himself a remnant. Uh, Paul also uh, expanded the concept of Israel, so it's not all Israel is Israel, and then, and then as we talked about especially last week, it was not only Israel was Israel, that God expanded the concept of Israel to include the, the Gentiles, the people who were once not a people, have now been made a people by God, and they've been brought near through the same mechanism that, um, that's there for the Jews, that th through uh, faith and belief in God, and particularly uh, through faith in Christ and the righteousness that he brings. Um, but he's still wrestling with this question, why is it that Christ has, has proven a stumbling block uh, to the Jews? And um, in verse, uh, or verse 30 of chapter 9, he started to ask, answer this question. And we have these three uh, comparison uh, or parallel comparisons. Um, first, that a righteousness is that that is by faith versus a law that would lead to righteousness. He gives us that um, in, in verse 30. And then uh, the righteousness of God versus their own righteousness in, in chapter 10, verse 3, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. And so um, as we start uh, our discussion today, I want to focus on this third comparison um, uh, that we see in verses 5 and 6 following. For Moses writes about a righteousness that is based on the law, but the righteousness based on faith. So in, um, uh, in this uh, final comparison, um, how does he use quotations from Moses? And that's, you know, you see he's got lots of quotes in here, and he starts in verse 5, for Moses wrote about. Um, how does he use these quotations from Moses to establish the insufficiency of a righteousness that is based on the law?
So he's making a comparison, a righteousness that's based on the law versus a righteousness that's based on faith. Um, so what's the difference? What's wrong with the righteousness based on the law? Yeah, Teresa. Okay, so in their zealousness to follow this righteousness based on the law, they, they not only um, you know, emphasize the law, um, God's moral law, but added to it all these other laws um, and, as you say, created a burden of, of law-keeping. Um, and as you know, we see in Jesus, particularly in the this, this Sermon on the Mount, um, this, these added laws are always faced are focused on externals, like you know, controlling your outward behaviors. Um, but as we see here, as Paul's getting into this um, and talking about you know, um, what's the problem, and he's using these quotations from Moses to establish they haven't dealt with the heart. Like, so if you follow the, or seek to follow the law purely on your own, and, and not coming from a standpoint of a relationship with God, then you're, they're using the law for the wrong purpose. You're, you're using it for the wrong thing. Good. What else is insufficient about a righteousness based on the law? And how does he use these quotations from Moses to uh, talk about this or explain this? Yeah, and, and some of these quotations um, emphasize that, that personal, or we might say um, covenantal, the relational aspect. That the, and um, for example, um, some of these quotes are coming from Deuteronomy uh, chapter 9. And in that chapter, um, uh, um, you know, uh, let's see, hold on. So let me just read. So he's, he's quoting from Deuteronomy 9 for. Um, but if you read through verse 6, you get in Deuteronomy, you get a sense of the point he's trying to make. Do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. So he's talking about once you come into the land, don't start thinking, well, yeah, <laughs> we got the land because it's, you know, we're so good and righteous. And he, he actually says, no, it's, it's, it's because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. They're worse than you are. <laughs> um, not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land. But because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you and that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. So he's using Moses there to, um, to establish, yeah, the law has its, its, its meaning and it has its, its proper use in the context of a pre-existing relationship with God that it has to be on this covenantal or relational basis in order for the law's true purpose to be understood. Yeah, that, and that, you know, it's, and Romans 8 is the only time, or the first time in the book, that Paul ha has, has said, um, talked about, in order that the righteous, uh, you know, uh, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin and flesh 
in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. And that's the only time, or first time in the book, that Paul talks about us being able to fulfill the law. And it's not us doing it, it's fulfilled in us because of Christ's righteous work. So again, yeah, this glorious exchange. Um, and as we think of, um, I love the way Calvin um, talks about this. Um, he, here, Calvin says, he refers not to the oracles of, or the prophets, but the, to, the, to the testimony of Moses. And for this reason, that the Jews might understand that the law was not given by Moses in order to detain them in a dependence on works, but on the contrary, to lead them to Christ, in order to instruct the people in the doctrine of repentance. It was necessary for him to teach what manner of life was acceptable to God, and this he included in the precepts of the law, that he might also instill into the minds of the people the love of righteousness, and plant in them the hatred of iniquity. Promises and threatening were added, which proposed rewards to the just and denounced dreadful punishments on sinners. It was now the duty of the people to consider in how many ways they drew the curses on themselves and how far they were from deserving anything at God's own hands by their works, that being thus led to despair as to their own righteousness, they might flee to the haven of divine goodness and so to Christ himself. This was the end or design of the Mosaic dispensation. So like... So there, Calvin's emphasizing that when you rightly understand the law, you understand that you can't do it. And the emphasis in verse 5, um, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them, the emphasis is on the doing. Like So like if you look at what word uh, in the Greek is being emphasized, the emphasis is on the, the doing aspect. And as we saw back in, in Romans 1, two and into three, <laughs> that's the problem. We, we can't do it. Um, the problem's not the law. The problem is our inability to, uh, to achieve a righteousness by the law. So this idea of, of refusing Christ's righteousness and a righteousness of, um, by faith uh, through God's grace is a stumbling block because people are persisting and holding on to a trust and, and reliance on their own righteousness, which if they um, isn't being performed by the heart and when examined fully, uh, they're not doing it. Good, other things uh, you wanna say about, oh, say these first five through eight, um, as he's talking, working through these Old Testament passages and particularly Moses. Um, Again, notice how chock full of scripture uh, these chapters are. It's like Old Testament quote after Old Testament quote, um, like roughly every two or three verses. Right, and, and the expression, um, the, the idea of going up into heaven to do something or ascending to heaven is, is proverbial in the Old Testament for a task that's impossible. Like, <laughs> you know, because obviously in an age before flight, <laughs> uh, space travel, like, like who can go up to heaven? Like, like you know, the idea of, of going up into the sky, you know, is an expression of impossibility. Um, but here, Paul is, 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 is using this idea, like he's, he's, he is selectively quoting Deuteronomy 30, and the emphasis is word on selective, um, picking a verse here or passage, part of a verse here and part of a verse there, but he's explicitly bringing Christ into the interpretation of that. 
So do not say in your, in your heart who will ascend to heaven. That's the quote from, from Deuteronomy 30. And then he's giving this little parenthetical explanation. That is to bring Christ down. Like, who can go up to heaven and in order to uh, bring down the righteous Messiah? Um, who will descend into the abyss? Who can go to the depths to, to raise Christ from the dead? Like, and it's, it's, you know, no one. <laughs> like if, we're, if we're seeking to accomplish a righteousness by our own ability, it's an impossible task because who can go up to heaven to bring Christ down or, or who can go to the, to the pit to bring the needed sacrificial lamb out and raise him from the dead? Um, and he's saying nobody can do that. Yeah, he's the one. You can't do the impossible, but he has. Um, and and the, the great way that, yeah, he takes the concept of word. Um, the word has been made incarnate. Like, the word has come down. Um, and the way that he's taking um, the Deuteronomy description of, you know, yeah, who are like you to receive the word of God? Who are like you to, to receive the word? Um, Emmanuel, God with us. Um, it's the power of God has been made manifest to man through the, the incarnation. And then as Paul goes on to say, like, you know, through the, the life-giving power of his, his resurrection. Um, that, you know, that, yeah, it's, it's the emphasis in this chapter is on the duty to receive what God has given. Um, and as we, you know, not to get too much to the end punchline, as we get to, toward answering this question, why has Israel not responded um, to Christ is because they haven't received him in faith. They haven't uh, believed in him. Um, this isn't a problem from, you know, the, you know, the message was distorted in transmission or what God was doing was unclear. Um, it, it's a, res, a lack of response in, in faith and a stubborn persistence um, in unbelief. All right, well, let's uh, move on to the, to the next section. So he starts with these quotations in, 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 from Moses um, and, you know, ending with, but what does it say? Um, the word is near you in your mouth and your heart. That is the word of faith we proclaim. So um, two of the earliest creedal statements, uh, Christian creedal statements, are, are basically referenced or paraphrased in verse 9. Um, one is, is simply Jesus is Lord, um, and the other is this idea, Christ is risen. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So, um, yeah, how do these short statements uh, capture the gospel, and what do these verses teach us about the nature of salvation? Yeah, that belief isn't, um, 
you know, we, we tend to think belief is a cognitive response. And, and Paul is saying, no, belief is a, a heart response. Um, the idea of belief has the idea, I mean, you can't separate belief from knowledge, but it, it, it goes further than knowledge in that it involves uh, trust, a response, um, a, a, a clinging to um, what you know. Yeah, Dave. Yeah, that's a good way, like, and, and notice he's putting them together, like, you know, just saying the words, like, you know, you know, and, and not living as if they're true isn't faith. <laughs> um, but just saying the words, <laughs> you know, isn't enough, like, you know, um, you, you have to have, you know, as you say, you're, it's not just talking the talk, it's, it's walking the walk acting as if it's true, you know, and, and responding. Like, again, belief is, is a response to what God has done for us and, and trusting in and acting on what he's said to us, revealed to us. Yeah, Meredith. Yeah, absolutely, and it's the way that Paul is, is taking words that in Deuteronomy are describing God's actions for man, and he's making this explicit connection. Jesus, or Christ, is that God. Like, and, you know, and it's why Jesus is Lord isn't just um, a description of, well, you know, he's got a position of power. No, it's a claim of his divinity. Um, and so those Old Testament promises about what God would do for his people, Paul is saying Christ did that. He ascended into the heavens. That's Christ. Who can go to the abyss? God, not man, but Christ did it. Um, and, so, and so, yeah, absolutely, to connect the familiar to this, like, it's this beautiful way. He's, he's built this Old Testament description of the insufficiency of, of a righteousness from the law, but in doing that, he's also laid the grounds for just as God said, I will do this for my people. So we see God doing that for his people in the person of Christ, you know, through his, um, uh, you know, becoming incarnate, dying, which is more implicit here, the focus is on his resurrection. Um, but, you know, it's, 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 it's Christ, you know, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, who has, has done this for his people. Yeah, and it's the way faith, you know, as we saw in earlier chapters, it's, it's the transforming power um, that, you know, like, and that's why Paul says, you're, you are no longer who you are.
because you're now in where you don't have to wonder, um, you know, are the lights going to come on? Actually, my electricity was off the other day, so <laughs> I was like, why is this not working? Um, and then it turned off, like, so it, it, it went off, and then it came back on, but when it came back on, I, I guess because I turned too many things on, that it blew the fuse, so I didn't know it'd come back on. <laughs> so after a while, I was like, wait, the heat's on. The heat can't be on if the electricity's off. Um, but anyway, uh, but but exactly as you're saying, like it, it's it's not like you don't have to, um, you know. Again, what, why it's a heart thing and not a head thing, like because you know you know in your guts that, uh, and you don't have to think about it, and and that that's why we never get beyond that stage of well, we don't move on from faith to something to some other stage because that is what we have to be conditioned in to daily live and trust um, in the salvation, salvific work of Christ. Or otherwise, we fall back into, you know, this, this withdrawal syndrome of, of trusting in ourselves um, and thinking that, oh, we're the ones who are doing it. Yeah, Mayor. I just wanted to point back to verse 3. That's fine. It's all one part. <laughs> Yeah, I know the lights are off, power's off, and I'm still like <laughs> thinking, oh yeah. Um, Yeah, and I, I love how you express that. It's the idea like, you know, um, when someone has, has told you, like, X will be done, like, you know, oh, you don't have to worry about bringing the, you know, the dessert, the dessert will be there, and, like, you make a dessert and bring it, <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> I told you. It's like we so often, like, I mean, in all kinds of situations, like, um, I, I have a, a terrible tendency of wanting to micromanage. <laughs> um, and that's like, you know, uh, you know, trusting that someone else will do something to the sufficiency in which I want to do it. Like, and, and even though like I've got to delegate and, and let, like I've got to learn to trust that, you know, and, and that's the idea. Like it's how much trust is involved in this that Trusting, well, is the Christ's work for me sufficient, or do I, I, you know, like maybe I need to do a little more to add to it, like you know, um, and and it takes our eyes off trusting in a God who has promised and has accomplished salvation for us to keep slipping back into this wanting to do it ourselves um, rather than trusting in the perfect and complete work of. Christ on our behalf that we receive by faith. It's not something we perform, but it's something we receive. Um, it's the difference between, as Paul says, gift and work. Because if it's something we do and rewarded for us, it's, it's, it's work, it's performance. But it, he's saying salvation isn't performance-based here. Salvation is a gift to be received by faith. Yeah, Tim.
Absolutely, and you you catch that like the lavishness of it, uh, you know, in in verse twelve. Um, For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches, like you know, and it's that idea of abundance of wealth. It, it's not like some, you know, um, like the way sometimes people interpret the feeding of the five thousand, like. Um, Matthew, when he, he preached on that, and, and Luke sort of talked about how some people like, well, you know, the point is everybody shared a little and they all got like a little symbolic morsel and <laughs> and they all had a meal together um, because they shared. No, like the, Luke's point is, you know, everybody ate, everybody ate till they were full and there were left baskets and baskets of leftovers. Like it's, it's, the emphasis on the abundance of what God has done in this work, the riches that he's lavished through salvation. It's, it's not some just like barely, you know, doing something for us. It's, it's lavishing something on us. Oh, that, that, you know, on this command, love your, on this hangs all the law and the prophets. So, yeah, so, and, and here, like, back in verse 4, Christ is, is the end, and end there is, like, telos. So it's not just, you know, um, uh, you can think of end as termination. <laughs> like, um, but you can also think of end as, um, you know, purpose, like, you know, what's the chief end of man to glorify God and enjoy him forever? Like, that's our purpose. Um, so, so this idea, like, it combines those things. That the purpose, the telos of the law was Christ, but the end of the law is also in Christ. Like, it's in him all these things have been fulfilled. The other thing, um, before we move to the to the second um, part and the little bit of time we have left, <laughs> um, just to emphasize the universality um, of this. So it's it's not only um, you know the offer isn't just a simple offer. You know, uh, uh, everyone who confesses with, with your mouth, uh, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Um, so the emphasis is on everyone. And, and just as Paul went through the, to that links back in chapters 2 and 3 to establish everyone is, is, is worthy of death, everyone, Jew and Greek, has fallen short uh, of the commandments of God. Everyone has sinned. There, you know, there's no one <laughs> that hasn't sinned. Um, the... the the solution to that universal problem is similarly universal. Um, there isn't a separate path for Jew and Greek. No, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Shoot the question then. I'll, I'll see how much time it takes. Um, the way, um, I think the best answer to this is he's doing like what we also often see the psalmist. Um, it's kind of a poetic doubling. So don't think of them as separate things, but he's like, you know, repeating the same thing in both halves of the pairing. So it's that kind of prophetic, rhetorical, poetic doubling of it. So, um, 
So he's saying, sort of saying, the one, for with the heart one believes and justifies, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. It's like, you know, the way you know, Proverbs or Psalms often take something and come at it from two different ends. So I don't think we need to, to draw a sharp line between, between the two, but to see them as, as linked together in this pairing. Does that make sense? <laughs> don't no, don't do that. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So I think I, I think thinking of it just like it, it's a, a a traditional Hebrew way of of, of emphasis is by repeat repeating the things in similar words. Um, all right. Well, let's talk about um, two. I've got two more questions. Um, one focuses on verses fourteen and fifteen. So we have a string of rhetorical questions in verses 14 and 15. So what do these teach us about? So if, if verses 18 and 8 through 13 are teaching us about the nature of salvation, what do verses 14 and 15 teach us about the means of salvation? Yeah, this is one of the places they go or should go. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, you know, God has done a work, but he calls us to participate in that work, and he employs means. He employs us. Like, the, the gospel doesn't come to us from a disembodied voice from heaven. Like, at least it didn't for me. Um, you know, the gospel came from, you know, a, a person who intentionally went and spoke the word of God to me. So it's, as you say, like it's, it's the logistical marching orders that, that we have not just as a church as a whole, but as individuals. Like, you know, and we were talking about this a couple weeks ago. Like, you know, I worry about like my unbelieving um, brother or, you know, unbelieving children or, you know, um, and, and our, you know, you know, like our thought on that shouldn't be wondering what God is doing on his level. Our thought should be on this level. Well, how are they going to believe if, if no one has ever, you know, they've never heard it? And how are they to hear if no one's ever preached to them? And how are they to preach unless someone purposely uh, in, is intentionally goes to them? So it's, it's this, you know, great string. And he, I love how he works backwards through the questions. Like um, uh, John Stott, you know, said, like, you can put the order you know, flip them to get the order. Sent, <laughs> um, preach, uh, hearing, uh, believing, calling, saving. Like, you know, so it, it's coming in the opposite order. Um, it's a device, but, but it's, you know, like to emphasize the need for this. Well, how is someone to call if they haven't believed? And how are they to believe if they haven't heard? And how have they heard, heard if someone hasn't preached? And the word preach there um, is, is um, it, it's not just what Matthew does. <laughs> um, the idea is, a, the, the real root of that word is a herald. So a herald is a person who goes to the marketplace and proclaims you know, news of something. Like they didn't have newspapers. Like, so if you wanted to distribute information you sent someone, <laughs> uh, a person, and that person proclaimed um, to, to disseminate the news. And that's what he's saying. The good news has come, and that good news requires people to go proclaim it. Um, and, and people won't um, be able to respond without having someone, that word, proclaimed to them. It is active. Um, it, yeah, like, oh, 
Matthew, you probably remember this. My brain hasn't worked. But there's a famous um, saying like, um, you know, preach the gospel always. Sometimes use words. Um, uh, I can't remember who said it. Um, but, but it's that idea. Like, it's... Thank you. Um, I knew it was someone like that. <laughs> um, my, I, I blame the absence of my wife. No, actually. <laughs> uh, my brain is, is shutting down as I near the age 50. Um, uh, but but the, the, the idea, like, it's an active, um, you know, and constant. Um, and as we'll see, as he's getting to the last part, and he gets to the application um, of this, you know, well, to go back to his main question, uh, and, and the central question of chapters 9 to 11, why has Israel not responded to the gospel and acknowledged Jesus as Lord? And he's going through, he goes through these steps. But I ask, have they not heard? For indeed they have. <laughs> um, did they not understand? Oh, they understood. So it's, it's not a... Um, uh, it, it's not a just a, well, you know, Israel hasn't responded because no one's gone and preached the gospel to them. No, Paul has, like, as we saw when we studied Acts together. Every town he went, he'd go find the synagogue first, and he'd, you know, he'd preach to the Jews, um, and some would respond, um, but others would drive them out and to the marketplace, and, and there he'd start preaching more broadly. But um, as, as Paul's, uh, you know, dealing with this, the problem isn't uh, in, in the lack of Israel's response, isn't just simply they haven't heard, um, and, and the problem isn't simply that they don't understand their own scriptures. So what is the problem? Yeah, so one is, is that um, persistent stubbornness and relying on, you know, trusting in their own righteousness rather than the righteousness um, that's on offer to them. The other thing, you, you hinted at this a little, but just to, like, bring it out, because this is an important part of the quotation he's bringing from Moses, and he picks this up again in chapter 11. Um, I, I, yeah. Long story, but I don't have my Bible, so I don't have all my little squiggly marks. Um, but, but anyway, um, like he, he, this idea of jealousy, um, you know, that, you know, in verse 19, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Um, and, and in chapter 11, verses 13 and 14, um, now I'm speaking to you Gentiles, and as much then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. So it's this idea that the extension of the gospel to the Jews, that it's a righteousness by faith available to all and not just exclusively to some. Um, no, it's, it's for Jew and Gentile alike. And they're, you know, part of this response is, um, I was thinking about this in terms of um, the prodigal son. Like, you know, the older brother is, is jealous um, of that the younger got, that his father's doing something for the younger brother. And he, he like, and so he's, you know, it, like he's in his father's household. He has everything before him. Um, and yet he's bearing this resentment against the father because the father has, you know, lavished um, this grace upon his prodigal brother. And so, you know, he leaves, <laughs> and the father's got to go out to, like, why'd you leave? Um, you know, and it's that idea that this, um, you know, resentment um, that uh, against God for, for opening this to, to all peoples, and it's not just something they're selfishly clinging, they're selfishly clinging to their own righteousness. They're also selfishly clinging to their own identity rather than seeing the universal aspects of the gospel. 
Other reasons that the, or we're not seeing Israel respond. Yeah, they. Yeah, some translations um, in there also have like, you know, uh, a stubborn, like so, yeah, perverse, stubborn. Um, and, and it's, the emphasis is on the willfulness. Matthew, you're going <laughs> to... Yeah, that, that again, it's, it's not, you know, as... as Israel's not responding, Paul wants to emphasize, it's not just a passive, well, they haven't heard, like their inertia um, isn't the result of, of, you know, well, the message hasn't come through, um, you know, they haven't heard. No, it's, it's purposeful, willful unbelief that they're exercising. Um, and as um, Brian said last week, like all these miraculous things happening at this time, and rather than opening their eyes to, to, to see what God is doing right before them, and like again, in Acts, like, you know, they go into the temple, there's a guy who's never walked once ever a day in his life, and suddenly he's up walking around, like, and, and they're like, yeah, and y'all read <laughs> in those days? The lame will walk. <laughs> Example one. <laughs> this guy, you've seen him every day, his entire life um, at the gate of the temple, and you've been passing by him day after day after day. He's up walking around. Why is he up walking around? Because the apostles healed him in the name of Christ. Um, and, and it's like... Well, don't go around telling people this. <laughs> um, you know, you can't say that. Like, it's, it's active, persistent stubbornness. Um, and it's not just, you know, some kind of, of passive inertia. Yeah, Jonathan.
So, yeah, there's lots there to, 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 to talk about. But one, it absolutely is, is foolishness. And the irony here is that the people who had every advantage, like the people who've been hearing this every day of their life, um, you know, you know they've, they've written these you know, words up and are looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. They're the ones who, when he comes, are not receiving him. Like, so, you know, it, it is, um, you know, this, this, like, you know, persistent, rebellious, not when it comes being, well, that's not what we wanted. <laughs> um, we want something else. Like, they've, they've, they've refused the gift that's been given to them. Um, uh, and, and, you know, out of lots of different, you know, it could be out of, out of um, misplaced expectations, as we often see in the Gospels, they expect the Messiah to, to do something else rather than, than seeing the magnificently greater thing he's actually doing. Um, uh, you know, and it's this, you know, it, it, as Paul's saying here, it, it's in the rebelliousness of their heart. Um, the other thing to talk about, back to, to this, like how beautiful are the feet to preach the good news. Uh, and again, as you say, it's, it's Christ who, who you know, himself is beautiful, who's brought us the good news. But then as his bride, he does call us to, to participate in this, just as um, you know, we saw depicted beautifully in the Gospels uh, or in Luke um, a few weeks back, you know, when Jesus sends... Um, you know, the 72 out, and, like, they're coming back, and, like, you know, even demons, um, you know, respond to your, like, they are blown away by the power isn't in them. The power is in Christ, but, but, but God in his grace has allowed them to experience that firsthand by sending them out um, with his power um, to accomplish the salvation and deliverance of a people. It's like we, we talked about like two things, God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Um, they are not judged because God has sent, turned them around and sent them on a path they didn't want to go. Like, you know, again, that idea of hardening, you know, they are responsible for the judgment that's fallen on them. And the, the hardening is, is God literally letting them have more rope to, to hang themselves. Um, now, in terms of the Jews he's talking about here, um, the idea um, and, and Paul's hope is that the hardening, as he's going to call it, is only partial. Um, as he says in chapter 11, um, verse 25, um, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So, um, you know, God's sovereignty doesn't undo our responsibility. Um, so we've got to keep those two things in, in tandem. So at the end of the day, yeah, if they're not saved, it's because God did not choose them to be saved. But if they're condemned, they deserve to be condemned. And, and the scripture puts both those two things literally side by side in these two chapters, and we have to hold them together in that way. All right, we're past time, but... Um, this idea of um, election uh, will come up again in, in chapter 11. So we can come back to this question next week as we pick up and start into chapter 11. But let me pray for us. Grace God, we do thank you for uh, your glorious work um, that your son Christ did come. Uh, and he came uh, while we were sinners. Uh, we, he came while we were your enemies. Um, and he died for our sin. 
uh, he took upon himself the death we deserved, and he made us not just, uh, um, didn't just reconcile us to God, but, but made us God's very children. Um, and we can uh, trust that the God who has begun a good work in us will bring it to its perfect com completion. And so as we uh, gather the worship in the coming hour, um, we're gathering um, in response to that glorious work uh, that you have done for us. And we ask that you would help us leave lives of faith and repentance to not just be uh, sayers of the word, but doers. Um, and that particularly we we'd be uh, proclaimers of that good news because um, you have given it to us uh, not to selfishly cling to as our own possession, but even as we see in these verses, um, your proclamation, your, your, your invitation is for all. And so we should be uh, indiscriminate sowers of that good news and leaving the fruit uh, in your hands uh, because that is where that fruit is secure. Um, pray that you would help us uh, trust you and even now help us to worship you in spirit and truth. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.